Sometimes in life we just suffer. Sometimes it's from being totally withdrawn. Or so much stress that we are totally anxious. Or so tired that we are totally burnt out. But our current position is not our final destination. No, indeed. There's hope. So whether it's your personal life, your career, your relationship, your business, or your job, we say there's reason to believe again. And we present from Andy's personal development, the breakout room. It's the place for health, happiness, Stay tuned for more. Hey folks, welcome. This is Andy of Andy's Personal Development. We are currently live in the breakout room. We welcome you. And for those who we have not seen or have not heard us, for 2024, we are still in a position to wish you and hope that you have a wonderful and prosperous 2024, the new year ahead. Remember the three watchwords, health, happiness, and prosperity. Today, we have a wonderful guest to share with you and his information and his dreams, his goals, his aspirations, his life experience. I'm sure he's bubbling with anticipation to share with us today on The Breakout Room. He's a writer, musician, and a cancer patient advocate. His name is Ray Hartgen. And now we'll introduce Ray in the studio, live in The Breakout Room. Welcome, Ray. Thank you, Andy. And hey, Happy New Year. I heard the, uh, the intro, so uh, never too late for that, right? Uh, never thank- too late, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, chat with you here at the Breakout Room. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time to join with us, and we certainly welcome you on our program. So, Ray, I want to begin by asking you, when folks hear your name, Ray Hartgen, what is the one thing that you want to come to their mind that is distinguishable or identifies with your personal values or alignment as far as your name is concerned? I know it's a huge question, but it's the basic foundation upon which we're going to start this interview. What do you want folks to be mindful of when they hear your name? What what I hope that they're mindful of is positive impact. I, right. I, you know, there's enough negativity in the world. There's enough everything, can feel, you know, people dragging us down, situations dragging us down. I want to be known and recognized as a person who leaves a positive impact. That the the world hopefully is a bit of a better place for me to be in it and and, and helping people as best I can. So 
That's my hope. And I've been driving that uh, for that for a long, long time. I'm sure there's people out there that would disagree with my effectiveness and be able to do that. But uh, uh, that's my hope is to, uh, you know, to, to leave a positive impact in the interactions that I have with others. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Ray. We appreciate that. So when you look back at your life and you think about the many experiences that you have had, the people that you would have met and the relationships that you would have built, is there any one or two instances that stands out in your mind? Memorable moments where something would have happened, a paradigm shift took place in your life, or you met someone and that relationship brought a change that was unexpected. Can you recall for us? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And, uh, and thanks for asking that, Andy. You know, when yeah. I, I think, you know, when I look back, uh, I'm 59 years old. I'll be turning uh-huh. 60 in March. Right. You know, when I look back at my younger self, you know, many times I think of uh, missed opportunities. Mm. And, and that was because of my lack of uh, really emotional intelligence. I, I okay. never even heard of the idea and the concept of emotional intelligence until I was in my 30s or so. And this wow. whole idea of EQ and the IQ. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was, you know, I came from a family that, you know, we didn't talk about our emotions. We, we felt love, you know, it wasn't the, the fact of that, but I guess maybe, you know, through the philosophy of, you know, if you, if you already know it and you feel it, then we don't need to say it or whatever. So there weren't a lot of, I love yous. There weren't a lot of hugs. We weren't touchy feely or anything. It was kind of that calm, cool, collected, that stiff upper lip. And I think there are these, also these insecurities, I, you know, from whatever driven is, you know, like, you know, like, like don't make yourself too vulnerable and yeah. you know, kind of squelch those, those emotions. So I think, you know, for me, there's these, you know, these, you know, opportunities, like, you know, have you ever been burned by asking about a significant other? It's like, you know, Hey, uh, I remember very specifically one, a grad school classmate of mine, Hey, Trice, where's, where's your husband? And she just looks at me and goes, not here. And I'm oh. like, Oh, and I felt like horrible, right? Yeah, but you know, yeah. when when you don't have the emotional intelligence to kind of work your way through that conversation, which you know, like my wife now, when she ex- experiences something like that, my wife is very attuned with her emotions. Lori's Lori's a very skilled empath, you know, and she'll just simply ask, you know, well, was that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, and the, the conversation is not over. But you know, back for me, and it's something I mm-hmm. still work on. It's this. Yeah. Uh, what would uh, never mind and <laughs> the conversation's over and you don't get to you know work with this person that you, you care for you love you know and you, you want to support them but I was incapable of being able to to do that and I've I've been in situations you know you know younger when you know you that, that awkward kind of classic cliche where, where somebody asks a woman when are you expecting and she's like ah yeah not, yeah I'm not pregnant well, I, I saw that at a party at my house once, right in front of me. And, and I didn't, I wasn't the one who, who asked the question, but I was like, oh, you know, oh, you know, just a horror struck by that. And, that, you know, living in fear of having these uncomfortable conversations that, you know, it's, you know, it's okay just to say, yeah. oh, Andy, I don't, I don't know what to say, but, you know, I love you and I care for you. So maybe we can, you know, get through this, this difficult conversation. And, you know, I've, I discovered that in my own cancer diagnosis, you know, you, you described me as a cancer patient advocate and I certainly am a patient advocate. Yes. That that advocacy is driven because I am a cancer patient. In March of uh, 2019, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. Mm -hmm. For those who aren't familiar with it, it's a blood cancer. It's an incurable blood cancer, but it's a treatable blood cancer. So, okay. It's something, you know, I've gone through a, a stem cell transplant and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, regular chemotherapy, you know, uh, maintenance doses uh, and the like. 
Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I, you know, in, in speaking out with my, speaking with my, one of my support groups, you know, uh, you know, people came up, uh, you know, sometimes there's this, this tendency, it's like, you find out who your friends are, ah, you know, and yeah. uh, who are the people sticking with you? And I hope I'm never that type of cynic, you know, that, that does that. You know, I, I always tried to be supportive of my fellow cancer patients, friends and right. say, you know, hold, hold on a second here. You know, maybe give them a break. You know, they're friends of yours for a reason, right? You brought them into your life for whatever reason and, and yeah. probably made a pretty good decision in doing so in the first place. Right. But just, you know, when you build up to a cancer diagnosis, you're kind of, you're getting there through all these tests and the like. And when the doctor says, hey, you know, I'm ready to have cancer. It's like, oh, you know, there's a wealth of emotions and stuff like that. But at least you had a little warm up to it. I mean, when you talk to one of your friends and go, uh -huh. yeah, you know, I, you know, I'm something I need to tell you, you know, I've been diagnosed with cancer, bam, bam out of the blue, wow. you know, it's like, and so all those emotions that the patients might feel, they also feel it's not a personal cancer diagnosis, but somebody that they care for the friends, right? The friends for a reason, you right. know, and, and, and a lot of times these friends, they, they like to be in control. And now if one of their friends has cancer, now they're not in control. What can we do? Oh, you know, all these things, all this goes through their head. Yeah. They don't, they a lot of times don't know what to say. And then, you know, it, it pains me to see these, these relationships fracture over something that doesn't need to be, you know, where if we just had that ability, that, uh, that emotional intelligence, just to be able to work your way through it, Andy, man, I don't know what to say, <laughs> but I know I love you. Yeah. I'm there for you. Yeah. So I'm hoping we can work our way through this difficult conversation because I want to support you the best way I can. You right. Know, so, you know, cancer patients and other, you know, people facing health crisis, anybody sharing with their friends, any type of concept, give your friends a bit of a break because they might not be prepared for this conversation. Mm. You mm. are prepared for it, right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's a kind of a long winded way of answering your question, but you know, many things in the, in my past, you know, not recognizing, not being comfortable with my own emotions, not being able to communicate very well uh, with the people I care about the most when it comes to emotional types of concepts. And then, you know, learning that firsthand as a, as a cancer patient, those are difficult conversations to have. The first conversation I had was telling my daughter and, you know, that there's no guide for it. Right. You know, and you know, things, they get easier and easier when you become more familiar with these conversations, but as difficult as they are for one person, they're equally as difficult or at least somewhat difficult. Somewhat difficult. Yeah. I, I appreciate the raw passion in your voice, Ray, and I must commend you for being so open and vulnerable. Question that is surrounding my mind now is, when you were first diagnosed with this condition, what did you feel? What was that emotional response like, if you can recall? And how did you pick up yourself? Because now you're an advocate, and I know that must have been a course of different activities that would have taken place to get you to where you are now. But can you recall that original moment when you got that information and it hit you, how you felt and, and how deep did you have to dig to get the strength that you possess now today that is helping others? Yeah, that was that. There was a flood of different emotions and some conflicting emotions. Like, oh man, you know, there's a there's depression, uh, there's a fear, there's also a relief. You know, for yeah, me, yeah. my diagnosis it took about five months, right? So, you know, a, a a blood test came up with an anemic red blood cell count, first time ever abnormal count. So, you know, going through and, and trying to confirm that maybe it was just something off, maybe I had an off day or whatever, confirming that. 
Then I got into a bicycle accident. It kind of set me back some time-wise for follow-up tests. The holidays came about and very busy time at work. And then finally, there's a systemic problem. You are anemic, getting into it, going through a bone marrow biopsy, which, you know, pro tip for everybody, bone marrow biopsy should not be considered recreationally. (laughs) They're They're not pleasant. So, uh, you know, working my way through it, I felt as though I'd just been poked and prodded with a lot of needles and just punched around. And for a fighter like me, I was like, man, let's, I, I want to fight back because right now right. I'm just taking right. all these punches. So, you know, there's even, even a relief. It's like, great. Now we know what, we, what I have. Now let's, let's get, get going to it. But, you know, I, I, approaching that, you know, that the fight with cancer, you know, I, when I was first diagnosed, it was the, it was the first thing I thought of in the morning when I woke up. And it was pretty much the last thing I thought about when I went to bed at night. And yeah. uh, during the day, it filled up a lot of my time as well. And, wow. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's being front of mind and then, you know, fighting it, fighting with diet and fitness and medicine, you know, and, and, you know, preparing for it in a couple of weeks, Andy, I was worn out. I was, I was just mentally exhausted. I remember wow. going out to dinner with the family and it was a Friday night. And I was like, man, I am just beat. And it was, you know, a, taking a kind of a, a, a fight night game day approach to, to cancer, which is, you know, this is something that I've done my whole life through academics, through music, my professional life. It's always, you, you work toward an event, yeah, you know, a, a gig, you know, a performance or, or whatever. There's always, you know, a milestone, a, a capstone, right. a type of event. Cancer's not like that. Cancer's day in, day out. Every day is, uh, uh, you know, a game day. Every night is fight night. Uh, and I had to, you know, readjust the way that I was kind of looking at things over my, you know, my physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual level sets. You know, what can I do? How can I leverage one over the other? You know, if I'm yeah. feeling, you know, tired, you know, what can I do mentally to lift my, my tiredness up? Or if, you know, if my emotions and my spirit are low, you know, what can I do to improve my physical condition where I feel strong, I feel powerful, I feel, you know, uh, energized to be able to go to the store and, and buy nutritious foods and prepare a nutritious meal, you know, and that, that, you know, that makes me feel better, not less my spirits, you know, and, and, you know, being, you know, recognizing that for me and, and, and level setting it, but, you know, that, that original diagnosis, a lot of, you know, emotions, a lot of uh, conflicting emotions and dealing with those very mentally taxing. And then, you know, f- you know, beginning to level set. And so like, how, how can we approach this? How can we do this day in, day out? How do you make it sustainable? And, but, you know, I, I do want to, you know, definitely state, you know, for me, there was, there was that sense of relief in a way that, you know, now I, now I know what I have. Now, now we have a plan. I have a medical team. My wife and I can talk about it. We can, we can begin to work through this. And then that, you know, quickly led me to other realizations in my life. One of which I just described, I said, you know, I need to change my approach to have done things before. To, it's not an event, it's a process, you know, and it's, uh, some people call it a, a journey with, with cancer. I, I'm not a, a journey type of guy. The journeys for me, you know, you know, send me back to like family vacations when I was a kid, you know, sitting in the backseat of a car with my, my sister, my, uh, my mom and my dad. That's not the, re- the relationship I have with cancer. My cancer is very confrontational. It's a fight. Mm-hmm. I'm fight against yeah. cancer. So mine's a little bit different, but lots of, uh, lots of emotions come about, you know, and, and conflict. It's, a, it's difficult to deal with. And if you, you know, anyone yeah. through any sort of major health crisis, even if you don't know what to say, reach out to them and, and let them know that you care for them support, and want to support them and help them however, you, however they can. It's, a, it's carrying a, a serious, a particularly chronic, uh, serious health condition uh, is taxing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. 
just the mail we get. There's a lot to go through from pharmaceutical companies and care providers and insurance companies and the like. Wow. So, so Ray, on a lighter note, it says that you're a contributor to a number of online outlets and platforms, including his rehagen.com site. You have spun your fair share of yarn on topics as far ranging as sports, primary football, hockey, auto racing, business, and particular revenue team functions like sales and marketing. That's quite diverse, diverse, my friend. Yeah, you, like you're pretty talented. I, I, well, I, I, maybe I can't keep a job. I don't know. One or two. <laughs> <laughs> but what about the music genre? I, I see you love music. I've looked at some of your tapes, some of your videos, and, and I love the passion that you put into the music as well. And you, you keep making excuses for not being able to sing as good as you can play. But hey, don't worry about it. The thing about is, what genre of music most inspires you, Ray, that you uh, love the most? Wow, what a great question. You know, uh, growing up, you know, born in 64, so I kind of grew up in the 80s, right? Uh, right. If I ever grew up. But, you know, my, <laughs> I was very much into the, the hair metal scene, okay. LA hair metal scene of the 80s. And, but, you know, my, my first inspiration of music was Elvis Presley. I, I, I wanted to be Elvis, the king. But I thought, you know, I, I probably can't be the Elvis, but maybe I can be James Burton, his guitar player. Okay. You know, and so that got me into guitar. Then when I was exposed to Eddie Van Halen and and the, and, and his guitar playing, I was like, there's a new uh, guitar hero for me. You know, I you know when playing with my Chronic Padres band with with my my friend Scott Sorocek, my, my singer. You know, we I, I, lately for the last decade or so, I've enjoyed working country music into mm. into our set lists. For a couple reasons. One, the, the ladies like the country music. And let's be honest, that's why almost every guitar player I like that. I want to impress the ladies. Uh, I hear you. <laughs> the, second, the second thing is that they're they're stories, right? You know, right, the, you know right. country music is you know filled with 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 storytelling in a way. And sometimes, you know, in music, you know, we you know, and it's it's good. I'm not saying it's bad, but you know, sometimes we get kind of lost in beats and tempos mm-hmm. and, and the like, and, uh, and, and there's not a story. It's instead, you know, it's maybe make your own story by dancing to it or whatever. You know, a lot of country songs, particularly the, the classic country songs, you know, they, they, they tell the story, you know, in three acts, you know, just like a, all great stories. And, and uh, right. I think, you know, lately I've been drawing a lot of inspiration from that. And I think when I write music, those are kind of, you know, the, the genre that I kind of lean into a little. Okay. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate that, Ray. I just want to share something with you that I think is very personal and dear to your heart. And I want you to tell us what was the inspiration for you working on this publication. There we go. And bringing it to the fore. Me, myself, and my multiple myeloma. What was the inspiration behind you producing this book, Ray? Yeah, you know, when I was first diagnosed uh, with multiple myeloma, I didn't know it. I had never heard of it before. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot it happens a lot when people are diagnosed with things. But you know, I, I had the you know fortunate opportunity to, to be interviewed uh, many many times. So you know, my name and my condition was appearing in in news articles, on, on videos, and the like, podcasts, and you know, people started reaching out to me on social media. And, okay. and asking me questions like, you know, hey, I was just diagnosed. Can you tell me this, that, and that? And, uh, yeah. and so the inspiration for the book was, you know, is, was, is there something I can do from a, a one to many as opposed to one to yes. one? I love yeah. being one to one. I love talking to, you know, patients on the phone. You know, what are you doing? Okay. What are you doing? And because we're all in this together. 
you know? And right. um, so I, I wanted to, you know, try to come up with like, you know, what are all these conversations I'm having and how can I share it from a one-to-many perspective? And I also wanted to raise money uh, and awareness for, for multiple myeloma. So, you know, what are the platforms I have that I can, you know, raise awareness? I want to talk about awareness in just a second. And then, you know, what can I do uh, you know, to support uh, the community? And so with the, with the support from me, myself, and my multiple myeloma, available booksellers everywhere, all my writer's proceeds are donated to the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation, mm. which is the foundation that I found uh, to be very you know, helpful for me uh, yeah. as a patient. Now, the awareness aspect that I want to be, make you all aware of is that, you know, I've, I told you about how the, you know, the first step in my diagnosis story was, was being diagnosed as being anemic, having a low red blood cell count. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an avid road cyclist. And at, you know, 54 years old at the time, I was, you know, hitting performance metrics on the bicycle as every bit as good as I had for the previous five years. I mean, I was a beast on the bicycle. Uh, you know, in hindsight, I maybe felt a little bit tired. I don't know, maybe, ah. uh, but you know, I also had a full-time job, a wife, two kids in private universities, you know, give me a break, man. You know, I think I deserve to be a little <laughs> bit tired, right? You know, and so I, I felt good. My performance metrics were great, but I had this abnormal uh, blood value, uh, just a routine CBC, uh, complete blood count, blood test. And, you know, going through the process, found out that 90% of my bone marrow was cancerous. Wow. Uh, you know, the lesson here for that I like to share with people is go see your doctor. Get a simple blood test. It's better to get out on front of things. Don't live in denial. You know, don't, you're not too busy to invest a doctor's appointment into yourself. Get your annual physical. See your doctor at least once a year. Make sure it has a blood test. And then, you know, follow up as necessary. Get an early start on things. Take it from me, guy that was walking around with 90% of his bone marrow cancerous yeah, yeah. and didn't know a thing about it. Wow. Solid, 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 strong advice there, Ray. Thank you so much for sharing. I want to continue sharing these items with you. And I want to bring up another one. I'm not seeing it here on my screen. So let me just cancel this out for the time being. But there's another publication that you wrote with regards to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm -hmm. And I remember that one being my favorite team at one time with Ben Rottlesberger being, <laughs> being my favorite quarterback until he retired a couple of years ago. And they, they recently just didn't make it over the hump. But where did that inspiration come from, Ray, with regards to that other publication? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked. I'm very proud of that book. The book is called Immaculate, How the Steelers Saved yes. It's, yes. Uh, It was published by Morgan James Publishing in December 2022 to coincide with the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception catch by, by Franco Harris. You know, this was a, I am not a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Uh, and in fact, you know, I was born in Texas and as a, as a good young Texan, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. Okay. And, you know, growing up a Dallas Cowboy fan in the 70s, well, the, you know, the Steelers defeated the, the Cowboys in two Super Bowls. Right. Uh, that wasn't bad enough. My second favorite team, being a good Texan, was the Houston Oilers. And the Houston Oilers never could win a division title from the Pittsburgh Steelers and lost uh, two playoff games to them in the 70s. And mm -hmm. my third favorite team was my mama's favorite team. My mama liked Kenny Stabler, just like everybody else's mama liked Kenny Stabler. So the okay. Oakland Raiders were her favorite team. So that was my third favorite team. 
uh, they, you know, very famously lost three playoff games in the 70s to the to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So when growing up, the Pittsburgh Steelers were like gum on my shoes. You know, the the mm. year old Ray would never believe that, uh, you know, 50 <laughs> some odd year old Ray would write a book about the yeah. Steelers. So fast forward to, you know, post-cancer diagnosis and my friend. Tom Olenek, he is the Pittsburgher. He is the Yinzer, and he is the, the big Steelers fan. He had bounced around in his head for about 20 years this thesis that, you know, when, when Pittsburgh was facing its most difficult time as a city, you know, it had, you know, 150 years of prosperity built upon, you know, coal and then iron and then steel. And yeah. then all of a sudden, it, it faced this deindustrialization transformation, and it was painful. 1975 to 1985 was difficult. Yeah. So when they needed their heroes, the city, uh, they found them in a very unlikely place. And that was looking over at their professional football team, which from 1933 to 1972 had been horrible. But so just then, all of a sudden, the team became good as the city was beginning to be in decline. But, you know, the, the Steelers are kind of built in a mirror image of the city. You know, tough, you know, hard nosed, blue collar, bring your lunch pail to work type of football team. Right. You know, yeah. and, and so, you know, they found these heroes. And in Tom's mind, you know, you look at Pittsburgh now and Pittsburgh is renowned around the world as a, as a, a, almost a model new economy city. You know, they went through this deindustrialization transformation. Uh, now they're world renowned for academia, medical research, healthcare, biology, yeah, yeah. robotics and the like. Yeah. You look at, at Pittsburgh's transition and compare it to the difficult, still going transitions of its Rust Belt cousins like Detroit and Cleveland, and Buffalo, and places like that. You know, what's the difference? In Tom's mind, for 20 years, it was it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm. So then now fast forward to, you know, my cancer diagnosis and, you know, being a musician and always trying to, you know, trying to make as much money as possible in gigs or whatever. It's, you know, you spend a lot of time thinking, of what's a good slogan to put on the back of a band t-shirt, okay. right? You know, and so, you know, I, I adopted this motto of, if not now, when? Okay. You know, when you're faced with a cancer diagnosis or any health crisis, you know, if not now, when, you know, mm. I was guilty of a, a lot of, as a, I think maybe it's part of the human condition. One day I will dot, 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 yeah. right? you know, and, uh, you know, I was, I found, I discovered, I was able to articulate in my mind that, you know, throughout my life, I'd just been guilty of taking too many things for granted, mm -hmm. uh, particularly taking time for granted. I would. All tomorrows were taken for granted, but you know, next weeks, next month, next year, sometimes next decade, you know, yeah. like, well, you, you can't live like that. Nope. I mean, you can live like that, but you shouldn't live like that. Mm -hmm. you know, so, so I took that time for granted, but I also took people and relationships for granted. Oh, it's wow. like, you know, you know, I might be thinking about Andy, but you know, yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll just reach out to Andy tomorrow, you know, maybe next week, you know, I, Andy's fine. You know, I'm, I'm busy right now, you know, and, and, you know, caring for you, loving you, you know, wanting to connect with you, but he's going to be there when, when I need him. Right. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I adopted this motto or one of these mottos and that is, you know, if not now, when, so mm. Tom, again, you know, he's 20 years, he's talking about this book, talking to his family started hearing about it. You know, everybody in his network, he's talking to me and, and I'm like, Hey Tom, if not now, when, right. You've been talking about this book for 20 years. Um, yeah. that, and I agree with you. It sounds like a great book. Why don't we start writing this book? Let's start. And if it ever veers off of what you, your vision in your head, we'll stop and we'll recorrect. Well, you know, a year and a half later, we hadn't veered off vision. We had this great book and we brought it out and it's, it's been well received. So really, really proud of that book. And, and I'm, you know, proud of Tom and I have to collaborate and getting this done because if not now, when, right, Andy? That's right.
If not now, when? So, how about... I don't know if I've seen that before. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's on your profile, Ray. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, thank you for sharing that. You know, Lori, my wife, that's your, uh-huh. we'll be celebrating our 30th anniversary this, this coming May. Right. Uh, you know, she, 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 not only she's my partner, my love, but she's also my rock through this right. fight with, with multiple myeloma. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the things that uh, she has to go through as a spouse. As a caregiver, you know, uh, as I as I mentioned, I wrote this book. You know, hope you know me myself and my multiple myeloma. Hopefully, to be a a, a valued resource for patients and their caregivers and their allies. Yes, yes. You know, caregivers are the unsung hero in any health crisis. You know, they. I I like to draw parallels to when she was giving birth to our two children. Right, is extraordinarily difficult for me. <laughs> she was the one that was experiencing all the physical discomfort and everything that went along with that. But me, I had this mental anguish. It's like, man, here's someone wow. or, yeah. you know, and she's not very comfortable right now. She's in pain. And, you know, and it was, it made me feel horrible. I was kind of like ill-equipped for it, you know, but, but she had it under control. She wasn't feeling, she was feeling the discomfort and the pain of, of childbirth, but she also knew how much she could take. Right. You know, and she knew she wasn't at her limit. Same type of thing, you know, going through chemotherapy and the like, you know, she, you know, she looks at me with, you know, great concern, but you know, it's like, I, I got, thank you. I got this though, but it's, you know, it's it's still hard to reconcile that in in the brain. And so, you know, what she has to put up with, you know, as a caregiver, very difficult. There's a lot of uh, patients uh, in my support group that have been both caregivers and patients. And they say to the person that it's more difficult being the caregiver uh, than the patient. So these, um, Mm, here's the sad thing though. Not everybody has a caregiver. Ah. Uh, you know, and so I just asked everybody out there in your audience to go see your doctor. The The third tip I have, I've skipped over number two right now, but the third tip I have is that if you know anybody going through any sort of serious health issue by themselves, reach out and help. I, I'll offer to help. They might not take your help. They might not know how to receive your help, but I can tell you, you get inundated with all sorts of, like I mentioned already, mail correspondence, but there's treatments, there's uh, meals you have to prepare. There's this mental, you know, gymnastics that you're constantly playing with yourself. If you know someone going through this by themselves, it's a daunting task. I'm so fortunate to have Lori, my rock, by my side. So uh, thank you so much, Andy, for uh, for putting that up there. And uh, Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> thank you for sharing that wonderful portion of your life, Ray. We're going to do a small break now. We just have a little endorsement by 
one of our friends and supporters, Amanda Blackwood, on our sister network, that's the LBW network, with regards to breaking out of depression. So stand by, Ray. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you all about this amazing podcast that I had the absolute privilege of being on recently. Oh my gosh. Andy Charles is such an easy person to talk to. It's such a wonderful podcast to listen to. I just, I love these guys. I know that I'm not going to have nearly as many opportunities to speak to them as I wish I could, but the the program Breaking Out of Depression is really doing exactly that for so many people. It's been a great thing to be a part of. It's wonderful to see the progress of this show as it goes along. I'm just really blessed to have been a part of this. Oh, yeah, that's Amanda Blackwood. Thank you for endorsing our sister podcast, Breaking Out of Depression. So, Ray, with regards to the future, are there any projects on the horizon that you're looking to accomplish? Anything in the works that you're currently pursuing now as we speak? Yes. You know, one of the exercises I've enjoyed facilitating in the yeah. past yeah. Uh, is, a, is a timeline exercise. And, you know, for those of you who have not done a timeline exercise, super simple. Get out a piece of paper, draw a horizontal line across it. On the far left-hand side, make a little tick mark. And on the far right-hand side, make another tick mark. That left-hand tick mark, that represents your birth. That line and the right-hand tick mark, the right-hand tick mark represents your death. Okay. The the really introspective part and the the value part is taking a look at that line and putting your third tick mark of where you think you are at that point in time. Okay. From that third tick mark to the left is in the past. So what's in the right? Right. You know, and you know, that, you know, that exercise, I've led that exercise in the past, you know, in my professional life with others and in groups, you know, this, this timeline type of thing. And, you know, it's, I think it's important because it helps you address that kind of question. You know, one day I'm going to dot, 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 and this, if not now, when, and that's going to lead me to another motto for, for the back of a t-shirt and that is punch today in the face. You know, today is a gift. Uh, What can I do today? to help me make progress toward that, to f- fulfilling that unfinished sentence of one day I will dot, dot, dot. I want to do X. What are the sub things that I can do to accomplish X today? Uh, I want today up, you know, as the old saying goes, you know, you know, put it away, write it hard and put it away wet. And, you know, uh, you know, when you're laying in bed at night, you know, looking over at the at tomorrow and kind of giving a wink at tomorrow and say, I'm coming for you next, you know, so what can I do to maximize today? And that timeline exercise helped me, you know, help me write Immaculate, how the, how the Steelers say Pittsburgh, it helped me write me, myself, and my multiple I have a, a working on a third book right now. It's a book that has not been sold to a publisher yet. So if you're a publisher out there, let me know. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a book that chronicles the Indy 500 this next oh, year, okay. 500 in May. Uh, yeah. It's been a, it's been something that's interested me as a little kid when I read a book that chronicled the running of the 1970 Indy 500, mm. and you know, I read that book like 20 times over the years, and I, you know, I, I always wanted to like update it to maybe you know share 
what the Indy 500 means to me, to maybe some other y- young kid who I picked up this book through a Scholastic America catalog, you know, <laughs> a teacher gave me like in fifth grade or sixth grade or something like that. And, you know, maybe I can help, you know, explain the sport a little behind the scenes, look at the sport a little bit and the event to, uh, to, to bring a new group of fans in. So working on that and, and also, you know, working on writing songs and you know, hopefully producing songs both and recording songs for uh, both myself individually and, and the Chronic Padres. And the, yeah, the band. Yeah. How, how did you come up with the name Chronic Padres, Ray? Overbearing over Fathers? I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that, that was my bandmate, Scott Srocek. Scott just said, Chronic Padres. Uh, Scott has three daughters. I uh-huh. have a son and a daughter. So we are, we are Padres. And I guess, okay. you know, it's a Padre, always a Padre, Chronic Padres. But quite frankly, I don't know. And I, I never asked, but it did. <laughs> It looks cool, oh, uh, you know, it looks cool like on, a, on a t-shirt. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. So Ray, if there's one thing in the world that you would like to not see, you know, that one thing that you think we should not ever have to deal with, what would it be? For, for ever, for, for, for at least for a very long time, mm-hmm. I've always been, I want children to be able to be children. Ah. Uh, and, you know, so I, I, I like to support organizations like Save the Children. Yeah. Uh, and the like I've been a, you know, I, I, I came across this realization when I was in grad school and I was working, you know, one of my community projects was working with junior achievement. And I would go into fifth grade classrooms and I would uh, teach business basics. I think the program is called Business Basics. Yeah. I'm talking with these 11 year olds and, you know, I was just, staggered by the level of maturity these fifth graders, these 11-year-olds had compared to when I was 11. You know, and, you know, because of the circumstances they were in, a lot of times they were, in a way, a child care keepers for their, their sisters and brothers. You know, they're, you know, they came from a single parent uh, household. They came home as a latch kid kid, and then yeah. they were responsible. They were responsible at 11 years old, you know, and this, this almost this forced maturity and technology hasn't made it any better, right? You know, and so... Mm-hmm. I, I came from a, a loving home. I was able to be a kid and enjoy being a kid and what that means as opposed to being like pushed into these kind of, you know, adult type of situations, in my opinion, too early. So there's one thing that I would love to be able to see us do is to, to allow that, that you know, the wonderment of learning from a child, right? you know, in, in that child's perspective, how they approach things with this beginner's attitude. Like never seen this before. Let's just figure it out. Let's look at it, you know, and, you know, and, and, and the gift that we can give our children by allowing them to be kids, by allowing them to discover stuff and to learn stuff and have this joy in their lives, to have meals in their belly, you know, access to education and, and, and technology for, you know, for that, to support that education. Those are, those are things that I, I I would love to see obstacles to that utopia removed. So children can be in children. Yeah. And wow, that's a really passionate calling. I love it, Ray. Thank you for sharing. So with regards to mentoring, are there anyone that you are currently mentoring with the writing, the storytelling, the music, any stuff like that, that you are sharing with maybe a group of people or maybe just one or two persons that you see the potential in and you know that, you know, it, what you have started can be extended through them. Yeah. It, excellent question. And thanks for asking. There's a, uh, you know, it's a, uh, I think there's two different approaches there for me. One is it's not so much mentoring, but being a, a peer for other cancer patients, okay. you know, particularly new, newly diagnosed patients who are, you know, facing all those anxieties and fears. Yeah. 
and you know, uncertainty, all those emotions that they're experiencing. You know, I, I enjoy, you know, connecting with them. A lot of them reach out just, you know, to, over the weekend, somebody reached out to my website. And so I, I like connecting with them and, and seeing how I can support. Also, you know, I've, you know, in, in addition to kind of like coaching my two children, now I've learned from a, a good friend of mine, his name is Paul Truex, uh, you know, known him for about 24 years. You know, he, his children grew up with my children and he has two daughters. And, uh, you know, Paul works extensively with his children's friends to help them out. You know, Paul's a very accomplished business uh, person. He's, uh, he's founded a couple of biotech companies that have proven to be very successful, you know, and so, you know, helping them along and, you know, trying, trying to help them discover their true passion. And so, you know, I, I, I'm learning from him, you know, these, these kids that, you know, are, you know, working their way through their early part of their professional career now, you know, and, and understanding, you know, I've been there. I, you know, I know those struggles where, you know, maybe you're clocking in day in and day out, but you have this unfulfillment, you know, you know, what's, you know, how can you discover your calling, your passion, you know, and what's that thing that can help you, you know, deliver the most inner peace. And it doesn't matter, you know, the hard part for me is, not agreeing or disagreeing. You know, I, I can be maybe judgmental at first, like, oh, you're making mistakes. There's like, this is, this, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but it's their mistake to make, right? They're, this is about their passion and their calling. So, you know, what, what, you know, what can I do to be supportive of them, to, to help them think about things, you know, like as it relates to financial literacy, right? And, yeah, and yeah. understanding, you know, you need to start planning for retirement now, <laughs> you know, if you're, and if you're 22 and that sounds a bit early, so it's, Trust me, you're going to appreciate that. Or, yeah. you know, uh, you know what classes to take. You know, uh, you know uh, how to approach job interviews. How to, you know, think about exploring other uh, careers. I enjoy. I'm, I'm learning to be better and better as a as a mentor. Someone who's you know, been okay. down before. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for sharing, Ray. So we have come to the end of this wonderful episode. We just have about one and a half minute to go. And I will give Ray an opportunity with some help here. We're just going to put it on the screen there to share with you his information, how he can respond to you as you reach out to him, how you can get his book. I'm see if I'm going to put it back up on the screen again, if I can, if, yeah, the technology would allow me. So Ray, just tell them how they can make contact with you and what's the most effective way to reach out to you so that you can respond and help do some more mentoring, get your book, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, uh, you can, you can reach me on my web, website, rayhardchin.com. You know, I, you can send a message through there, but the best way of getting a message in front of me is my name at Gmail, rayhardchin at gmail.com. You know, please reach out. If you have any questions, anything I can help you with, it'd be my honor. And, you know, there's a, uh, you know, I, I skipped over tip number two that I had, you know, go see uh -huh. your doctor, number one. Number three was to go see, you know, to, to help out anybody that knew alone. Number uh -huh. two, people out there, I call it the twos. You don't need a doctor and you don't need Ray to help you out here because you already know it. It's the things that you do too much of or too little of, you know, like maybe you eat too few vegetables or you exercise too little and so forth. <laughs> You know those things. Mitigate your risk factors, people. Uh, and then the fourth and final one, find your passion, find your calling, contribute your time and or money because we're all in this together. It takes a global village. We are all going to get something. So find your calling. You'll know what it is because you'll feel about it stronger than you felt about anything else and, and, and work to help us all out. Wow. What an amazing way to end an amazing episode. Thank you so much, Rehad Jen, for sharing his life story, his dreams, some of his experiences. 
And we have been live in the breakout room, the place for health, happiness, and prosperity. Thank you so much for your time and your commitment to making this a wonderful episode on the breakout room. As we go, remember the three watchwords, health, happiness, and prosperity. So on behalf of myself and our new friend, Ray Hadjian, we are saying to you so long, Godspeed, God bless. Bye for now. Until next time, stay safe, stay song, and grow at least 1% every day. Bye for now, folks. Love you guys.